Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Let me get into the Word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to quit rambling and preach really fast. Three weeks ago, I introduced the book of James. And so I'm going to jump back into the book of James. But, uh, Kenneth, have you got that picture of... Um, yeah, there. That's um. Here we are on our way to the interior village, on the Amazon River. <laughs> Not quite. We went canoeing last year. We we uh, we took um my kids canoeing for the first time, and uh, show the next one with with Benjamin. There you go. Look at that. Isn't that cute? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so before we before we went, you know, we had to fit him in a life jacket because he didn't know how to swim. So what did we do? You know, we made sure we weighed him, <laughs> got the right size life jacket. Right. We put it on there really snug and we buckled it tight. We didn't want it to move. We t- tested it. We pulled on it, you know, because we figured if the canoe tip, we wouldn't want it to come up over his head or something. Right. You know, you do everything safe. Right. But what we were trying to do, we were testing that thing because we wanted to know one thing. If this boat were to flip. Can this life jacket save him? Right. right? One thing. Go to the next photo. Look at that. There's a tower rigger. How many of you guys would like a job like that? <laughs> Does your son do that? That's cool. I've worked in broadcasting, so I've been with them, but I never, I never got to climb. But, you know, before they go up there, they're going to inspect their equipment. You know they are. They're going to inspect their ropes, their harness, you know, the carabiners, everything, because they're going to make sure it's going to hold them, right? They want to know one thing. If I have an accident or if I slip up there, will this thing save me? All right. Well, James asks a very similar question. James 2.14, it says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's the question James asks. Can that faith save him? James would have us to examine our own hearts and examine our faith in the exact same way that that mountain climber will examine his gear before he goes up on the tower or that tower rigger or mountain climber. He would have us look at our lives and say, is what I'm doing, is it something that can save me? Do I have the real thing? Am I making progress in my life? Could you imagine um, being there, standing at the base of the tower with a bunch of other tower riggers, and they're all going through their equipment, and, you know, they're getting ready to climb, and and you have yours, but the only problem is you bought yours at Party City. (laughs) You've got a good costume, but, you know, you're uh, you're not going to trust that to climb because it's not genuine, right? James is about having us look at our lives and say, do I have genuine faith? Amen. He wants us. Not only does he want our faith to be genuine, he wants us to know that our faith is real and genuine. He wants us to rest in that assurance. Um, I got to do a a zip line course uh, one time. It was really fun. One of those team building things, you know, and uh, he's like, you got the harness on. He says, you want to have fun? Just jump off. Don't hang on at the first bounce. Kick your feet in the air and go down the zip line upside down backwards. So I said, okay, no hands, jumped off, kicked my feet up. I mean, totally trusting my safety equipment, totally trusting. He wants us to be able to live life in such a way that we can just jump off with God and totally trust him. And he wants us to know it. 
So what the book of James is about, so that we can know that our faith is real and genuine. Three weeks ago, when I introduced James, I said that James was about connecting our faith with our actions so that we can move forward in life. Another way of saying that is that we need to connect what we say we believe and what we actually do. They need to be connected. They need to be in agreement so that we can get the traction that we need to move forward with God. You could also say that in order to make headway, or in order to grow in the spirit, we need our inward person and our outward person to be in agreement. We need agreement. I used the example three weeks ago of a stationary bicycle. Remember that? The stationary bicycle is made to do one thing. Expend your time and expend your energy and go absolutely nowhere. <laughs> That's what it's made to do. Now, I mean, if you need the exercise, you're glad for it, right? Especially on a cold day. But think about it. That thing is made for you to sit on there for an hour and burn calories and go nowhere. But, you know, there's a lot of things in life that is that they're made for you to occupy your time, occupy your attention, spend all your energy and go absolutely nowhere. I think worry is one of them. Didn't you say something about worry? See, I had it in my notes already. Yeah. Worry is designed to occupy your energy, your time, your thought life and take you nowhere. I'm convinced the Internet is another one. Hey, there's good things on the internet. I'm always slamming it, though, because, you know, it's a temptation for all of us, you know, to spend hours on there just looking at things that are not. I mean, even the news, man, the news, most of the news is just a waste of time. <laughs> it's just a waste of time. It's designed to make you worried, make you dissipated, spend your energy and take you nowhere. But God wants us to move forward in life. There are relationships that are designed to take you nowhere. They sap your energy, they sap your time, and they take you nowhere. Some jobs are jobs, you know, we call them dead-end jobs, you know. I'm not saying to quit your job before you have another one, but maybe God's got something better if you're in a job that's taking you nowhere. You know, arguments, strife, all the things that we deal with. But God would have us to be growing and progressing and moving. Put up Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5.12, I think. Yeah, 5.12. For though by this time, the writer of Hebrews says, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. He's saying, you guys have been at this Christian thing long enough. You all should be able to teach this to others. But you're not growing like you should. You've had enough time. You could be a spiritual giant. <laughs> Look at the people who've changed the world when they're like in their 20s. And look at people like John Wesley and stuff, how committed they were. Such a short period of time. What, what progress? Boy, I want that, don't you? We should be constantly growing and changing into the image of Christ. Ephesians 4 talks about that, talks about us growing up into Christ. Philippians 3 talks about us pressing on to take hold of what he's taken hold of me for. Amen? There's growth, there's progress in the Christian life. We're supposed, to be, um, we're supposed to be able to take what he's done for us and just work it out into all of our areas of our lives. Work it out. And Jesus is helping, or James rather, James is helping us get there. Not just in theory, but in real life. If we'll listen to him, James will help us get there. Don't you hate just shallow advice? You know, like, hang on. <laughs> 
Keep your hand to the plow. Keep looking up. Put your nose on the grindstone and try to get anything done in that position. <laughs> but <laughs> James is not like that. It's not shallow advice for him. It's, it's, it's real. It's, 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 um, he's not simplistic. He meddles. <laughs> he gets right in your business. You know what I'm saying? James gets all up in your business. He forces us to examine our lives. And that's the, that's the point. He'll, if, if we'll let him, he'll take us apart. And he'll let us examine both our inward motives and our outward life. It's kind of like, this, that's, why, that's why James says things like this. Uh, see, if we're going to be successful in life, our inward person and our outward person, they need to be in alignment. They need to be in agreement. You know, Jesus said, um, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. What does pure mean? Pure means no mixture. No mixture. No matter how you cut it, it's the same all the way through. He wants us to be the same. He wants our inward person and the person we project to be in alignment. That's why he says things that, you know, faith and actions have got to agree. That's why he says things like, uh, we bless God with our mouth and with the same mouth we curse, with the same mouth we curse others. He says, if you see somebody who's blessing God with his mouth and then with the same mouth cursing somebody else, he says, something's wrong with that. Why? Because the same spring does not produce salt water and fresh water. It doesn't do it, right? A fig tree doesn't produce olives. A grapevine doesn't produce figs. And blessing and cursing does not come from the same source. So if I walk up to an apple tree and I see a watermelon hanging on it, what does that tell me? Somebody tells you somebody put that up there with the intent to create a false illusion, deception, right? Because apples or watermelons don't, last time I checked, they don't grow on apple trees. Yeah, they're totally different. And so when we see somebody who's both blessing and cursing, what's that tell you? Mm -hmm. But now turn it on yourself. <laughs> that's what you need to do because we're not here to be judges of others but when I have blessing and cursing coming out of my life am I really who I think I am am I really living up to the persona I'm projecting right it's a good question it's a fair question like I said he'll take you apart and make you get real with this stuff but you like it you want to be real so you need your inner life and your outer life to be in alignment you know how many of you guys ever shoot a rifle right what do you have you have a front sight and a rear sight your rear sight and your front sight and the object you're aiming at, they all have got to be in alignment if you're going to hit your target, right? They've got to be in agreement. They've got to be working together. And we, our inner man, our inward man, our outward person have all got to be in alignment with God if we're going to have progress and success in the Christian life. That's why, that's why James gets so hard on the double-minded person. You know, he talks about the double-minded person. He says the double-minded person is unstable. The double-minded person can't hit what he's aiming for. He can't receive anything from God because his sights are out of alignment. He's not going to hit the target. Put up James 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. Let's read about this double-minded man. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
unstable, double-minded. We have a word that we use called two-faced. Everybody knows what two-faced means, right? Two-faced, does that have good connotations or negative connotations? If you type in two-faced on the Webster's Dictionary, I'm going to try to talk really fast now. <laughs> if you're going to try to type, I better not. I better slow down. <laughs> what we'll do is if I don't get to it all, we'll pick it up next week. How does that sound? Uh, <laughs> if you type in two-faced in Webster's Dictionary, it gives you the word double-dealing. <laughs> we all know what double-dealing means, right? Double-dealing is when your actions contradict your professed attitude. Right? Double dealing, oh, come on, let's be real. Double dealing is always the intent to deceive or defraud. Wow. Right? Another word that comes up is duplicity. Duplicity is doubleness of thought, doubleness of speech, or doubleness of action. So you get the idea that, you know, this person is putting on a front, but there's something else going on inside of him. And it's not so important that everybody else know that. It's important that you know that. It's important that I know that about me. It's important that you know that about you. Because God wants us to be whole, complete, in alignment with him, able to just bring about, you know, when, when, when your inner, inner, inward life is right and your outward life is right, you can bring out those things that God has placed in your heart just that easy. You can hit what you're aiming for. You can, the spirit can just flow. That's what we want to become. Amen? Amen. Now you can see why James comes down so hard on the double-minded person. He says, what he says is not how he's been ordering his life. Right? The things he pretends, he'll take a stand and then he'll double back. He'll say, I believe this, and then he'll end up doing something else. You know, faith is not really getting all excited and claiming great things from God. Faith is how I order my life every day. How do I live my life based on the fact that this word is true, that God is real, the Holy Spirit is real, God is working in my life. How do I live circumspectly before God? That's what faith is. And that's consistent. And then that is stability. Stability. The opposite of that is tossed to and fro, double-minded, tossed with the waves. James 1 and 8 says he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Isn't this good? Book of James, isn't this good? That's okay. It gets better. <laughs> it does get better because we want, we want to look at this. We want to be real because, you know, the thing is this stuff in this book is real. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. You could have heaven flowing through you. You can have the miracles flowing through you, but we've got to be real with where we're really at. I don't want to be one of those people who, who, you know, gone through all the right motions and then get up there on top of the mountain and then, you know, when I finally need my harness, it's not able to save me. We want to come into the kingdom. We want to be able to bring the kingdom to bear in this situation. Amen? The New Living Bible says, the man who has, the man who has two ways of thinking changes in everything he does changes. That's where the tossing comes from. Two ways of thinking. Now understand, this is not just indecision. This is not just a person who's trying to make up his mind about something. This is actually two different ways of thinking at the same time. It's two mind. The literal, uh, Young's literal says, uh, the two-souled man, soul, is unstable in all his ways. That's the literal translation. It means having two minds. At the same time, it's this way, and then this way, and then this way, and then this way. And it makes you unstable. But 
walking with God should bring a stability to your life, something concrete. Amen. You know, when you're walking like that, miracles are not a surprise. You know, they're not hit and miss. They become a regular part of your life, a regular part of the expression of the Holy Spirit through you. We need to adopt this new way of thinking that expresses the new life that God has for us. Because we don't want to try to run around with fresh water and salt water coming out of the same well, do we? So James helps us in these areas. He helps us to identify earthly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. He helps us to identify salt water and fresh water. So if we'll allow him to, he'll, he'll do a work. <laughs> this word will do a work in us. So if you'll go with me to James chapter 1. I think I can get it all in here today. James chapter 1. I think it's interesting that the very first thing that James says after the introduction is this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I think it's interesting. Trials of various kinds. There are various kinds of trials. Most, most translations say trials. Some translations say temptations here. It's the same word. And the word actually means putting to proof. Putting to proof. Kind of like that mountain, mountain climber will test his equipment before he entrusts himself to it. He wants to prove it. Amen? It's a test to find out where, where you really are, what you're really made out of. And just understand this. Going through a test doesn't mean you fail. When you go through a test and you pass, you have great confidence. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. There are many kinds of trials in life. You know, just think about in the natural world, written exams. You know, you, you, you know if you've gone to school, you've taken exams, right? And, and, uh, um, or job performance uh, evaluations. You know, there's all kinds, of, all kinds of tests. You know, new ideas are tested with, you know, focus groups, you know, and then they put on the market and they're tested. If people like it, it succeeds. If people don't like it, it fails, you know, but everything is tested. There are tests that would test your character or test your resolve or test your integrity. And then there are temptations and tests that would try to lure you off into sin and, and walking away from God. And James warns that those are, those are things that come from within us. So again, it's good to know where we're at. Amen? And the other thing is what might be a trial for you might not be a trial for me. What might be a test for you might not be a test for me because we're all different. We have different strengths, different weaknesses, different desires. You know, I'm not, for me, it probably wouldn't be a big temptation for me to go spend the grocery money to go to Dollywood. I just, I mean, Rinkim has been trying to get me to Dollywood for as long as we've been married. And I just... I just, it's just not something I get excited about. I mean, I'm not, a, not, don't hate it. It's just not something. But now if you told me I could take the grocery money and buy a new guitar, I mean, you know, it's, that, that maybe won't excite some of you. I don't know. I don't know why not, but, <laughs> but you know, we, we all respond differently because we all have different, there's different kinds of trials. Verse 3, it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Most translations here say the testing of your faith. The King James says the trying of your faith. 
And several of them say the proving of your faith. See how each different one can kind of bring out a little different aspect of it? Remember, there's different kinds of trials. Some would test you. Some would try you. You're trying my patience. <laughs> well, why don't you say, praise God, you are proving my patience. <laughs> I am a patient man. <laughs> and you are proving that. Thank God. Thank you. Would you do that some more? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Have you ever willingly submitted to a test? What happens when you take a test? Just in the natural. You're recognized as being competent in a certain area. Right? You know, you go, you go to school, you get a degree. So you can hang it on your wall and say, I'm competent in this pursuit, this study. Right? You know, you go take a test for driving a car or flying an airplane or something. They say you are, I don't, I don't know why they give so many driver's license because I don't know if everybody's competent who passes that test. You know, maybe this is a bad example after all. <laughs> but it's saying, you know, you, you could control a car at least enough that you didn't wreck in the parking lot. Go out there and learn, right? <laughs> but you get a certificate, an endorsement, something that shows that you have a level of competence in a thing. It's another kind of a trial. Whenever you stand the test and you're proving, you know that your faith is genuine. And then you can rest in that. And when somebody says, go ahead and jump off and kick your feet in the air and hang on that, you know that harness is going to hold you. And God says, trust me in this one. Just let go. I got it. You can just jump off and you can know that that faith is genuine. He's not going to let you down. That's a good thing, isn't it? That'd be good to know. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance. It produces patience. This is the answer to that prayer. You know, oh God, please give me patience. This is the answer to that prayer. <laughs> trials. <laughs> because trials produce patience. Trials produce endurance. So when you're having a trial, when you're having a temptation, say, thank God my prayers are being answered. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is an authenticity to a person who's come through a trial and has been proven. It's the opposite of being a double-minded person. There's an authority that he carries. Maybe he's even been beat up a little bit. Maybe he has some battle wounds but you know what? He's faced something that maybe you haven't. And there's a realness, a genuineness. It's the opposite of having a double mind. It's the opposite of being tossed to and fro. It's somebody who's come through it, maybe fought for their lives, and they've come through it and they've overcome. And now they're not impressed with the little pettiness of life <laughs> that worries so many people because they've walked through the fire, they've walked through the flood, they've come out on the other side and they're still standing. And there's just, there's a, there's a realness about them. Amen. So I'm going to tell you real quick in the next 10 minutes, four reasons to rejoice when you face trials, four reasons. Cause he says, James 
James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So reason number one to rejoice when you face a trial is this. Trials make you better. The person who's been through something and proven his faith and proven God has something. He possesses something. He owns something that the person who's never been through anything knows about. Go to Romans 5. Verse 1, Paul says that, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We like that verse, don't we? Justified by faith. It's not works. And it's true. It's faith, not works. I'm justified. I'm made right with God. We celebrate that, don't we? Look at verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we... I like grace, too. Do you like grace? I love grace. Grace in which we stand. We are standing in grace. That's awesome. Is that awesome? He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Standing in this grace, justified by faith. I like it. And then verse 3, he messes it all up. Because <laughs> he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Like, no, Paul, I think you got it wrong. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think you meant to say that, did you? So, and then he doubles down on it. He says, knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. I don't like that at all, Paul. Back off of that one. I hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, I'll quote one and two and I'll quote five. I don't like to quote three and four very much. <laughs> Character produces. It gives you the idea that, you know, these apostles and these people who really walked with God were kind of cut out of a different cloth. You know what I'm saying? They were, they, they lived life. They thought differently than we do. You know, a trial was a part of life and it made them better. What would happen if we really rejoiced and we really started to embrace difficulty in our lives instead of running from it? What would that look like? What would it look like if we looked for opportunities to put ourselves in difficult situations? Maybe even putting ourselves in a situation where we can be a blessing to another, where we can help another. What if we, are, what if we sought to take on more responsibility in our lives instead of less? What, 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 kind of, what would that do for us? What if we actually come to the terms that the difficult things in life are the things that actually complete us and make us strong? And what would happen when the devil discovers that the things he's been throwing at you to destroy you actually make you happy? <laughs> what happens if he, the things he throws at you, he finds out that they're actually helping you to be better, to be more like Jesus? Oh, hey, hey I, that meant to destroy him, but that's not exactly what happened. He became stronger. He became better. He became more like Christ. Thank you. <laughs> because they do make you better. Number two, trials reveal what's inside of you. 
good or bad. It's not always bad. Don't think this is always negative, but it can be negative. It can be good. If you go down to verse 13 in James, the first chapter, he says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, this is a kind of temptation. This is another kind of temptation. And it's a good thing to discover what's in your heart. It's kind of like having a heart scan, you know? And they can read it and say, well, you have this in your heart. <laughs> you don't have that. No, that looks good. That looks good. You need to work on that. You know, what tempts you? What's your areas of weakness? Let's be honest. Being honest, we can take them to God and he can help us with them. He can heal us. Amen. You know, it's an opportunity to confront our weaknesses. And people pay big money to go see a psychiatrist to sit there and figure out what's going on inside their hearts. <laughs> And they sit there with counseling and they work out what's my problem and what's holding me back. And here, the book of James will do it for free if we will just be honest with him as we approach him. It takes honesty. It takes honesty in front of that psychiatrist too, though, doesn't it? But if we'll be honest, he'll help us. He'll show us what's in our heart. It's not wrong to test ourselves. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 13, 5. Examine yourself, Paul says, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. <laughs> See? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's something. Realize this. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? What if you go through the trial and, and, and you, you, you are proven? You say, praise the Lord, Jesus is in me. Not always negative. You know, we, we, trials get a lot of attention when they're negative, right? That's when we're aware of them. But you know, how many things have you overcome in your life? Look back, look how far you've come from. Look what God's been doing in you. Look at how you've been growing and searching after him. Look what he's been doing in your life. It's a beautiful thing. You've overcome some stuff, amen? That makes you genuine. That makes you real. Some of the testimonies this morning, people been through things, but praise the Lord. It, it, it works. God's working in you. I'm not saying God causes those things, but they're here in the world. And if we'll embrace them, we'll become more like God. Yeah. It's not wrong to test ourselves. And if we'll allow it to, it'll help us locate ourselves. Because we want to bring ourselves into alignment with God's purposes. Amen? Okay, number three. Trials make you powerful. I like this one. Trials make you strong. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Mm -hmm. 1 Samuel 17, 39, if you want to look it up with me. Uh, if you remember this, David went out to fight Goliath. They finally convinced everybody he could. So Saul gives David his armor, right? You remember that? So Saul puts his armor on David and sends him out to meet the giant. 1739 says this, David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. The King James says about Saul's armor, he had not proved it. David said unto Saul, I can't go with these for I have not proved them. Now Saul's armor was proven. Saul was a warrior. Saul wore that armor and killed people, fought wars, you know, conflicts and won. His, he didn't have, it wasn't a problem with the armor. It was a problem that David had not proved his armor. David did not get to prove it for himself. 
See, a trial is an opportunity to prove your faith. But David hadn't proven Saul's armor, but he had proven God's faithfulness. David had not proven Saul's armor, but he had proven God's faithfulness. So what did David go into battle with? Something he had tried and proven already, God's faithfulness. Back up a few verses to uh, 1 Samuel 17, 33. Let me read you this part of the story. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when I think it's funny because in the story, he just literally just came from keeping the sheep. I mean, he just showed up from the sheep pen. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I used to do that. <laughs> I'm a warrior now, but <laughs> this morning at 10 o'clock, I was a sheep herder. Now I'm a giant slayer. <laughs> I don't know if that's faith or what, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if it rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God." And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. He said, I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. I'm going to kill the giant in the same way, same principle. I put myself in this place and God delivered me every time. He delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. I can take this risk and prove him in this. And I can stand here in front of the giant and he'll deliver me from here too. Amen. In other words, before David faced the giant, he faced the lions and the bear. But he went into battle with something he had tested and tried. He couldn't use Saul's armor because it hadn't been proven. But God's faithfulness had been proven in his life. Amen. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's that word again, various trials. There's different trials. There's different kinds of things we go through. And it says this, so that the ge tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith. Isn't that good? It's tested and proven genuine when you overcome trials. It's more precious than gold. Trials are opportunities to test and prove your faith. Trials give you confidence in battles. And listen, trials let you know what you can do. Trials let you know what you're capable of. Isn't that good? Think about that. You overcome some stuff, you know what you can do. You find out what you're really made out of. Some people don't have a clue what they're made out of until they go through a difficult situation. And they look back and they say, I don't know how I came through that. But God helped me. I proved him through this situation. That's an encouraging thing. Trials make you dangerous. You kill a lion, you kill a bear, start, all of a sudden you're thinking, there's nothing I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, number four, trials are for you to overcome. 
First Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That means if, if you're being tempted by it, you have the ability to beat it. Or God wouldn't have let it come. You are stronger. I'm telling you, you are stronger than you think you are. You are stronger than you think you are. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may able, be able to endure it. If you're facing it, you can beat it. And in the process, it'll change you. It'll give you patience. It'll give you endurance. It'll give you authenticity. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you dangerous. We've got to learn how to love difficulty. I'd like just to promise that, you know, everything's going to be awesome and all right and perfect. But in the Bible, it was 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, In the end times... Difficult times are going to come. It says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. So my challenge for you today is just this, simple as this. That obstacle that's standing in front of you that you're supposed to overcome, overcome it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Overcome that thing. Whatever it takes. I've had enough of this. This thing has been standing in front of me. It's time for me to be an overcomer. If I'm looking at it, if I'm looking at this problem right here in my life, God says that this would not have come if I did not have the ability to overcome it. So it's time for me to overcome. It's time for you to overcome. Amen? Jeremiah 12, 5 says, If you've raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? And my question is, why would you want to compete with the horses? <laughs> I guess God thinks a lot more about you than you do. Because when I'd go sign up for a race, I made sure I got in a foot race. <laughs> I didn't sign up for a horse race. But God looks at you and he says, man, you can run with the horses. You can do it. You're a lot stronger than you think you are. It's time to overcome that addiction. It's time to overcome that past hurt. It's time to overcome unforgiveness and strife or fears. It's time to overcome depression and worry. Cast off the sin that would keep tripping you up. Face it down. It's time to overcome it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Amen? So what you going to do? Run to the battle. Those old songs say, run to the battle. Take your sword, and just like David ran after that giant, go run after that thing and just beat it once and for all. Amen? It's a trial. Let it prove you. Let it prove what God has done in you. Let it prove who you really are. Let it prove that you are connected to him. Amen? Amen. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, thank you just for your your. your your wisdom, your ability to oversee everything and work everything in, work it all in. Lord, as we go through things in this life and we face things that we're uncertain of, Lord, we, we thank you that you're able to work it out. And through the trials, through the things we go through, you are able to make us better. Father God, I pray for everybody here. Lord, I know everybody's facing different things at different times in our lives. And I thank you for the testimonies. This is an awesome service today. What a, what a testimony of people overcoming things in their lives because of what you have done. Father God, I rejoice in that. And I love that. But as, as we go out in our lives, we go out in the world today, I know we're facing different things. 
Lord, I pray for strength, Lord. I pray for that they would be able to see you and see themselves the way you see them just enough to say, I've had enough of this thing. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to kick this thing off and I'm going to move on with God. He's made you an overcomer. It's time for us to overcome some things. Amen. Amen. Father God, make this real in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.